Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is Maximize Your Influence, Podcast 316. Kurt Mortensen here. Thanks for being here as we take a deep dive into the psychology of yes, the power of no, and even talk about the yo. (laughs) It rhymed. I'll explain what that means in a bit, but welcome back. Appreciate that you are here. It was a a slower week for me. It didn't seem like I accomplished that much, but I know I did. I don't know if you had those weeks before, but anyway... Let's get into it. Let's talk about ways to get you some more tools to persuade, to influence, to motivate, to inspire, to change, to get more charisma, all the things you wished you would have learned in school. But let's dive into the blunder, Homer. Don't, don't, don't. Now, this happened to me about, oh, about a year ago. I was with my family over in Hurghada. That's in Egypt. It's right on the Red Sea. So you have the Red Sea and you have Egypt on one side and Saudi Arabia on the other. And we had gone scuba diving, having some fun. It's beautiful. Red Sea's known for its beauty for scuba diving. Anyway, this one day decided to get on a glass bottom boat and go snorkeling. So they handed out snorkels to everyone. And almost everyone got a snorkel and a mask and some fins. And we did the glass bottom boat ride first. They're going to take us out in the middle of the sea to do some skin diving. And I'll admit, it was beautiful. The coral, the colors, the fish. And then it got quiet. Then everyone started pointing as this glass-bottom boat went by a huge hammerhead shark that was just resting on the bottom of the ocean floor. And of course, everyone's excited. Everyone took their pictures. And I took a little closer look at this shark because it wasn't moving. It was sitting there and it was chained to the ocean bottom. Then I noticed on one side there was some writing. This was a fake shark (laughs) planted by this glass bottom company, I found out later. They planted the sharks so people would see things that are cool. Well, you know, I'll give you 10 points for that, but then not very many people wanted to go skin diving. I wonder why, because a lot of them thought it was a real shark. And of course, they want everyone skin diving. A lot of people didn't go skin diving. So probably not a good trigger to plant a shark when you want people to go skin diving in the water. So I don't know. Maybe that's a a blunder. Maybe it's a ninja. Maybe it's a blinja. (laughs) You decide. But I don't think putting a shark in the water when you want people to swim is going to be the best tactic to make sure everyone is happy. Just put it out there. Something for you to think about. So let's get into the geeky scholarly article. Three cognitive shortcuts exploited by marketers that uh, exploited caught my eye. This was in Psychology Today, and this is with Austin Perlmuter and Brian Wash. So I don't know if exploited is the best word, but uh, again, that's what caught my eye. And they go on to talk about, to handle the massive flow of data we're exposed to each day, humans are constantly relying on mental shortcuts. And that these quick and frequently unconscious processes play a major role in how we make decisions. Of course, I agree with that. We talk about subconscious triggers all the time, these little shortcuts, because we just don't have time to process everything. But it's it's bigger than that. Again, we don't have the time. We don't go to the supermarket and look at the 50 shampoo bottles and look each one up and look at consumer reports and smell each one and look at the, the ingredients. We just don't have time. We just have a shortcut. 
Some people's shortcut is the most expensive. Some is the cheapest. Some is the, who have a coupon. Some is what their parents bought. Some is what a recommendation from a hairdresser. We develop shortcuts, and we all know that they're not 100% correct all the time, but again, we don't have time to process everything. So I call them a subconscious trigger. They call it an unconscious process. And let me add to this that part of the reason is the way our brain is programmed, the way our brain works. Because the neurons in our brain are processing 11 million bits of information a second. I mean, it's just gathering everything. But our conscious mind can only process around 50 bits per second. Okay, I just read this in a study the other day. Could you get that? So 11 million bits are coming in, and our conscious mind is only aware of 50 bits per second. So a lot of it just filtered out from our conscious mind, but our subconscious mind still picked up that information is another reason we rely on the shortcuts and how our brain works. So here's the three they came up with. The first one's called the framing effect. I call that the law of contrast. They say marketers use it to get us to believe that it's a bargain even when it's not. So they put an expensive car next to a slightly less expensive car, but they have that less expensive car overpriced, so the expensive car looks like a better deal than it actually is. Now, on the dark, dirty deed side, we see real estate agents doing this. They call it setup properties where you say, I want to buy a house for $300,000. Right, let's put a number in there. And they'll show you one for three hundred, and it's a dump. It needs work. It's in a bad neighborhood. There's bullet holes in the window, right? And you know, like, I don't want this. But then they show you the next house that's three hundred. That's the one you want, and it looks ten times better because that's the one they want you to buy. The other one was just a setup property. It was overpriced for a reason because the second house looked better than it actually is. They also talk about how they use framing using a dollar amount versus a percent. So framing a sale is 20% off, $5 is better than a dollar off. Then on a car, if a car is $20,000, $200 off sounds more enticing than 1% off. So it depends on how they stand if you can use the percent or the actual dollar amount. Second one they talk about is anchoring bias. This is also called door in the face, where that first number we hear, we rely too much on that initial information, this anchor is created, and the, the marketers tend to exploit this. So when they show you that new TV, they say, oh, I'll give you $50 off this one because it's already $100 overpriced. They got room to negotiate, room to wiggle. So they're going to start high. And they've also noticed in a separate study I was reading that when you go buy a television, if you wanted the $1,000 TV, they're going to show you the $3,000 TV. That's your anchor. And you'll probably leave with a $2,000 TV. That's why in negotiations, it's okay to go first to create the anchor of the negotiation, the starting point that is what anchoring is. And the third one is social proof. I call it social validation. It's also known as wisdom of the crowd. Is that if it's number one, it's the best selling, the trend, it must be good. If there's a line, we just get in it sometimes. And I've done that. I'm sure you've done that too. It just happens. It's just how we are. We're not sure how to act at a party at a gathering. We look around. We see someone on TV in a commercial has a problem with their kids or their clothes are dirty too or their armpits smell too or whatever it is. Like, wait a minute. They're like me. There's a connection with that. In fact, infomercials that fail, the first thing to do is add more testimonials. Of course, they're cherry-picked testimonials, <laughs> but that's an easy shortcut for us. If we're not sure what movie to see, we look at Rotten Tomatoes. We're not sure what restaurant, we look at Yelp. And every country has a different one that they use, but we all have a way that's social proof. 
I mean, think about it. You ever been to a restaurant and you were all by yourself and no one else was there? It's kind of an eerie feeling because is this a bad place? Is it a good place? Especially if you've never been there before, you want to know what's going on. So that is the third one, social proof, social validation. So with that, let's get into podcast email. Oh, boy. Remember, if I use your email on this show, you get a free subscription for InfluenceUniversity.com. Check it out. And if you want to send me an email, it's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, or just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's the home of the Persuasion IQ Test, the free book, Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling, and of course, our advanced training programs. This is David from Boston. He says, Kurt, we met during your Maximize Your Influence seminar at EMD Millipore. Let me break in there. That's a large pharmaceutical division out on the East Coast, actually all over the world. He says, I just saw your video on YouTube about a foot in the door and door in the face. How do I know when it's good to get the yes, the no, and the yo? Thanks, Persuading with Power, David. Now, there's the yes, the no, and I made one up, maybe kind of hokey, kind of cheesy, the yo, I'll explain that one, but sometimes you want a yes, sometimes you don't want to know, sometimes you do want to know, and sometimes you want that yo. So let me get into it, and let's explain exactly how that works. It depends on what stage you're in in the persuasion process. It depends on their demeanor, their attitude, their personality. Is it a negotiation? Is it a sales call? There's different ways to look at this. So let's get into, first of all, the psychology of yes. So first, let's talk about the physical movement of yes, moving your head up and down. In fact, do that for me. Move your head up and down. When people do that, they're more agreeable. They're easier to persuade. And even on commercials, when you see the bouncing ball, they're singing you a song and the words of the song are the bottom of the screen and this bouncing ball is going from word to word, which causes your eyes to go up and down, your head to go up and down in the yes motion. You are easier to persuade. That's just how it is. College students putting on headphones, they thought they were testing them for quality. Listening to rock music in the middle of this rock music was a commercial to raise tuition. A third of the students were going up and down the yes motion while they listened. Or testing the headsets, so they thought. A third were going side to side in the no motion, and a third did nothing, the control group. And then they asked them afterward what they thought about the commercial and the raise in tuition. And of course, those going the up and down motion were the most persuaded that it was okay to do. So your goal in the persuasion process is to get as many yeses as possible. Every yes you get, you're closer to selling them, to persuading them, to winning that negotiation. It's just how it is. It's also known as FITD or foot in the door. My favorite study was done with psychology students when they were asked if they could come participate in a study Saturday at 7 a.m. Only 24% said yes, not very good. But when they broke it down into smaller yeses and said Hey, we're doing a study. We participate. And they're like, yes. Saturday available? Yes. 7 a.m.? Yes. It went from 24% to 56%, which doubled the yeses. And so this should be an aha for you. If you're getting a lot of resistance, a lot of no's, what you're asking for is too big. Break it down to smaller yeses, smaller pieces. Smaller yeses is easier to get than one big yes every time. It's called the foot in the door technique. In fact, Nicholas Geigen, he, this was a, Another geeky article, Computers and Human Behavior. He wanted to see if this would work online. So they got 50 students in this computer science hall. They all received an email with the 40-question survey on their food habits. I mean, this bad boy's going to take 20 minutes of their time. And it did not work well at all. But they tried the foot in the door, where 30 minutes before, 
half the students responded to a small favor to help convert this file. Strange format and it needed to be converted by the same person who was going to later ask them to do this survey. The foot in the door worked. When they got that first initial yes to help out with something, they were much more compliant in filling out the survey 30 minutes later. Foot in the door technique. So that's the psychology of yes. The more yeses you get, it starts a persuasion process. You get as many yeses as possible. And here's the key, especially in negotiation, always get the easiest issues first. Too many people, especially in negotiation, they owe money, budget. That's the hardest thing for most people. And if there's 10 things they need to agree upon and they start with the hardest one first, no wonder they hit a brick wall and never win the negotiation. Start with the easiest issues first. All right. Shipping date. <laughs> when do you need this? The interest rate. The color. Who do you want in the committee? Just little things, depending what it is, easiest yeses first. Now, part of that too is that sometimes a little yes doesn't even feel like a yes to them. It could be an action or a question, and you've started to persuade them. For example, if I say write this down, they do, but you've just persuaded them, but they don't feel persuaded. Hey, underline that. Can you read this sentence? Hey, raise your hand if this happened to you. Those type of things, those are actions. Those are subtle, physical yeses that you've started on the persuasion process. Or it could be a question. I have a colleague that does this. Hey, can I come by and meet at 10 o'clock? He's like, ooh, how about 10, 15? I'm like, okay. He didn't care, but he started the persuasion process. They were just persuaded, even though it didn't feel like they were being persuaded. Hey, is it okay if we move to the conference room? Hey, it's okay I bring you an Italian for lunch. <laughs> Little questions, get the yeses right up front. So that's the yes. Now, in the middle of all this is the yes-no, or the cheese factor here, the yo. The yo means it's a yes-no. Hey, Kurt, what's that mean? Well, a yes-no is when you get the no, but it's really a yes. So you've started the persuasion process. It's an agreement even though you got a no. This is especially helpful if you're dealing with those that have an abrasive personality, a red personality, a dominant personality, or even an assertive personality. I know a lot of those are the same category, but this is someone that wants to be in control, making the decisions, and they don't want to start off with all your yeses, and they need a few no's to start things off. So give a few no's, some yo's, which is a no that's really a yes. Let me give you some examples here. Any concerns before we get started? No. But again, that's a yes. Hey, any reason we can't spend 10 minutes together? Is this a bad time? Can you think of a reason not to do this? No, no, no. Do you get that? So even though they're no's, it's an agreement to continue with the sales process, the persuasion process. Any reason we can't talk this afternoon? Any objection to solving this right now? Would you object to making an extra $1,000 a week? Would you be concerned if we saved you $10,000 this year? Are you 100% opposed to? Any objection to? Is it a bad idea to take you out to lunch? <laughs> right? Those are all no's, but reality, they're yeses. I'm hoping you see the power in that. You can also use this if they're playing the indifferent card or pretending not to care. This might be a good spot for the yo. Am I boring you? Is your mind wandering? Do you feel like I'm wasting your time? Is there someplace else you want to be? Can, you know, get those no's, but it grabs their attention and it lets you continue in the persuasion process. So we've talked about the yes and the no. 
And sometimes you want to say no without saying no, because it could really shut down the persuasion process. And the studies do show the slower the no, the people are more likely to accept it when they start thinking about it. So when they say, we need to get this done by January 1st, you're like, no way. That's what your mind's saying. You say, well, let's look at the calendar. Let's map it out. Let's see. And over the next couple of days, you're mapping it out. You're looking at it. And they start to see that there's no way this is going to happen. So sometimes a slow no. Or sometimes you don't even have to say the no. If they ask for something that you just know in your mind's not going to work, you're like, well, how would we implement that? How would we find the budget for that? How do you suppose we would do that? You know, put it back in their courts. When you say things like, well, it seems like. What would happen if we did nothing? So the no will eventually come up. You don't have to say it. That lets people down slowly if that is your strategy. But sometimes you don't want the no. If you're sensing someone's going to say no, you're in the middle of a sale, you sense they're going to say no, or maybe you're trying to influence up to your boss or to the CEO and they're your favorite project, whatever it is, and you're sensing the no's coming, don't let them say no. Don't let them say no. Say, oh, let me do a little more research. We'll come back in a couple weeks and revisit this. Because once they say no, they've said no, it's very difficult to turn that no into a yes. But if it's a maybe, turning a maybe into a yes is much easier than turning a no into yes. So sometimes you might want to get a maybe. So David, there is a time to get the no especially when you're setting that anchor, you're doing negotiations, kind of what we talked about in the geeky article today. So when you start the persuasion process, you're using a lot of yeses or yos. The time you want to get a no is when you adjust the perception, the value of something or, or the perception of how long something's going to take. That's known as door in the face where you want to get a couple no's right up front to adjust the perception of value, time, energy, or money. For example, when they went up to people and said, will you donate blood today? And they look to see how many yeses they got. Then the next batch, hey, we donate blood every two months for the next three years. They're like, no. Hey, we at least donate today. Increase the people that did it. Or when they went up to people and said, hey, will you do a two-minute survey? 25% said yes. But when they said, hey, we do a two-hour survey? No. Will you give us two minutes? Went to 50% or doubled the yeses they got by using the no. So if you need to adjust the perception of value or time or length or money, door in the face works well. You start off with it, you adjust the perception, you get the no out of the way, then you can start getting your yeses. Can I borrow three people from your team? No. Can I get one? Door in the face. Can I get two hours of your time? No. Can I get 10 minutes? <laughs> Door in the face. Puts everything in perspective, gets the no out of the way, and you can start the persuasion process. But you've changed the perception of value, time, energy, or resources. So David, hopefully that answers your questions about door in the face. Foot in the door when you get the yes, the no, and the yo. Appreciate that. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit like and subscribe. We're also on Pinterest and Instagram under Max Influence. And, of course, YouTube channel is Maximize Your Influence. Any question, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But, hey, no one to get the yes, no one to get the no, no one to get the yo. And when you do that, I guarantee you can persuade with power. 